Okay, maybe we need to go over this one more time. Do we have to? Well, sweetie, I don't know if you're getting a good grasp of the ratios here. Fine. Okay, all right, well, step by step. Before we spend any money, what's the first thing that we do? Give to God. Good, and why do we do that? Because he first loved and gave to us. Good, 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 good. Okay, great. Now the second jar here is for so many different things. Hold on. What? God lives in heaven, right? Yeah, he lives in heaven. And heaven has streets paved with gold, right? Streets paved with gold, sure, yes. So why does he need my money if I don't even have a job? <laughs> Okay, all right, so good question. So basically when we give to God, we're, we're giving to the church. So the church gives the money to God? No, the church keeps the money. Oh, does God know about this? <laughs> yes, he uh, basically built the system, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, see sweetie, as you grow up, there is nothing better than giving back to God. In the Bible, it's the only place God says, test me on this. When it comes to your money, he says, test me. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you. And your mom and I, we do just that. Even when things are tough, we always give the first part of our money back to God. And then the church takes that money and does all kinds of things to make God famous, uh, like camps and mission trips and even VBS that you love so much, and even helps out people that are in need. You can't outgive God. And when God says test him and you do it, he will come through every single time. Okay, Dad, I get it. I do have one question, though. Oh, okay. Why do we need to test God if he already knows all the answers? That's that's good. Let me just retrace my steps here just for a minute. Take your Bible with me today, if you will, and open to the book of Malachi. At Malachi chapter 3. So I don't really know where that is, Pastor. I'm pretty new to the faith. Well, just find the book of Matthew. Find chapter 1 of the book of Matthew and back up a couple of pages. And you will back into, into the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. As we continue this series of messages that we'll finish next week called Seven Habits of Deeply Spiritual Christians. And I want to begin reading in verse 7. Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? We, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, 
nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Lord, as we continue in this series about these seven habits, these seven practices of deeply spiritual people, I pray, Lord, today that you'll help us to hear clearly what you have to say about this matter of our money and about this matter of our giving. Lord, I I realize this is a difficult subject, especially in the day in which we're living with inflation as it is, with gas prices like they are, with the increases that are going on all around us. And yet, Lord, the key to having your continued help and involvement and provision is in being faithful to give back to you. And I pray, Lord, today that you'll speak to our hearts and cause us to understand this important truth called the tithe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's a story about a church that was looking for a pastor They'd had a number of men that had come through and had candidated at the church, but none of them seemed to be the right fit. And finally, they had a young man who came. He preached on a particular Sunday, and everybody in the church, when they walked away that day, they said, that's the man. That's the man that God wants to be the pastor of this church. They're all in agreement. They all decided that's who they want to call. So the deacon set up an appointment to meet the young man and to telling that they wanted to call him to be pastor and to give him a start date, the first Sunday that would be his official Sunday as their new pastor. On that very first Sunday of that pastor's ministry, he walked to the pulpit and he opened his Bible and he preached a powerful sermon. It was biblically sound, it was theologically accurate, and it was applicable to the congregation's everyday life. And the people were nudging each other in the pews and they were saying to each other, This is just what we needed. This is just what we needed. Well, the second Sunday rolled around, and the pastor walked to the pulpit, and he opened his Bible, and he preached a powerful sermon. It was biblically sound. It was theologically accurate. It was applicable to the congregation's everyday life. And yet, it was the same sermon from the previous week. The congregation thought it was a little bit strange, but... Each of them was very patient and understanding, and they said to themselves, you know, I did hear something this week that I didn't hear last week. I I remembered something this week that I I didn't remember from last week, and so they sort of passed it by. Well, the third Sunday came, and the pastor walked to the pulpit, and he read the same passage, and he preached the same sermon. And while the congregation was still confident that this was the man that God had for their church, they were beginning to grow a little bit concerned. And there were a few church members that approached some of the deacons and they said, look, if he has the audacity to preach that sermon one more time, you're going to have to have a talk with him. Well, the fourth Sunday rolled around and the pastor walked to the pulpit and he read the same passage and he preached the same sermon. And after the service, the deacon said, Pastor, could we see you for just a moment before we leave? And they went back into his office, and he asked them, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And some of the deacons said, well, we're a bit concerned that you keep preaching the same sermon every Sunday. And I guess our question is, do you have another sermon? And the preacher took off his glasses, as preachers are known to do, 
folded his arms and responded, I do have another sermon, but this church hasn't obeyed the first one yet. Now, some of you are thinking when I go through these seven habits of deeply spiritual Christians, haven't we heard this before? Maybe in a different form, maybe said in a little different way, but haven't we heard this before? And the answer is absolutely, you've heard it before and you'll hear it again. Any pastor that's worth his salt is going to come back to these things on a repeated basis. And we have for the last six weeks, counting this week, been talking about these seven habits of deeply spiritual Christians. Things that we need to be reminded of again and again and again. We started with worship both our personal worship of God and the corporate gatherings of worship. We move to talk about the Scripture and how important it is that we read the Bible for ourselves and that we hear the Bible taught and preached. We discuss the matter of prayer and the importance of having communion with God, that God wants to fellowship with us, not just give him a checklist of things we want from him, but to be able to commune with God and have fellowship with God. Then we talked about serving Everybody who's a part of a local church needs to be plugged in somewhere, contributing in some fashion to the work of God. This is God's plan A. The local church is God's plan A. And then last week we talked about witnessing, that you're an ambassador of God, and he is speaking through you to others. And the message is be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. But today... Today is that all-important sermon that is going to hit really close to home for a lot of us. It's that message about our money and how God intends for us to be givers to the work of God. Sometimes people say to me things like, you know, I really want to study the deep things of the Bible. I want to go deep into the Scripture. Well, so do I, but the reality is that too many aren't even practicing the basic things that enable them to go deep into the Bible. And you have to ask the question, why is it? Why is it that people don't do these basic habits, these basic practices? Well, sometimes it's because they're new Christians and they have to learn what those habits or those practices are. And so you've got to teach them. So you've got to say them again and again for new people that are coming to faith in Jesus. Sometimes it's because we get distracted by other things and we get turned away from what are our first priorities. If you remember in the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 about the church at Ephesus, it said they left their first love. And sometimes we get distracted and we turn away from our first love and from our first priorities. Sometimes people just get lazy and they let these disciplines slip through the cracks of their indifference. And sadly, sometimes it's just pure sinfulness. We just are determined that we're not going to do what God says and we're not going to obey his word and we're just living in rebellion to God. But I want you to understand that these seven things are the first principles of the Christian life and they have to be heard repeatedly and regularly. And if we don't practice them, not just hear them, if we don't practice them, we fail to grow deeper in our walk with God. So today, we're talking about our money. We're talking about giving. We're talking about tithing. Now, I realize that we're in inflationary times. I understand that gasoline reached an all-time high just a few weeks ago per gallon. You remember over $5 a gallon? 
If you're like me and my wife, Mary, that we're receiving things that come from the various companies that love us so much that they write us every month, and they tell us that things are going up, and you should see an increase in your bills, and you're thinking to yourself, why would you talk to me about money in times that are so difficult and so hard for so many to even make ends meet? And the reason is because the key to unlocking the resources of God in your life is learning to be a giver to the work of God. Let me tell you some things that, that I've learned from my tenure as a pastor, almost 45 years. Some things that are my observations. Are you with me? Some things that are my observations. Here's the first one. I've never known a generous person to complain about how much money it takes to run a church ministry. You know who usually is the complainer? The one who gives nothing or gives very poorly, and they are the ones who always seem to gripe. It's the generous givers that are always expressing, you know, how can I do more? How can I help more? Another observation, I've never known a generous giving family that was not generally a happy family. But I've also noticed that those stingy, miserly families, that those are the ones that are generally unhappy about a lot of things in life because they've never learned about generosity. They've never learned about giving. I've also never known a person who was critical of most things or mad about a lot of things who was generous. It just doesn't happen, at least that I've ever experienced in the people that I've been dealing with over the course of my life and my ministry. And I've come to believe that those who think the church talks too much about money never really want you to talk about money at all. Generous people like to talk about it. They don't mind you bringing up the knees. They don't mind you talking about tithing. They don't mind you talking about giving to God. I've come to believe that there's a direct correlation that exists between a person's faith and a person's generosity. The more generous they are, it's not unusual to see the deeper their faith. And the more stingy they are, the less generous they are the more difficult their faith sometimes, the more shallow their faith seems to be. And that's what the Scripture bears out, isn't it? Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you're giving to the church and you're being generous to the work of God, to, to, to the ministry of God, the result is that your heart is overflowing with the blessings of God, the things that God is doing in our midst, and if you're stingy and holding on to it and saying, I just can't afford it, you're the one that steps back and finds all the problems and all the difficulties and all the things you don't like about something. I mean, this whole matter of giving, and as I'm going to call it today, tithing, is just absolutely an essential discipline of our lives. One of my favorite stories about tithing is one that I heard about where there were two men that crash-landed on a deserted island when their plane went down, and both of them survived. They were unscathed. Immediately, one of the men went into, her into hysterics. He started pacing up and down the beach, screaming over again, we're going to die, we're going to die. The other man went over and found him a palm tree. He laid down next to it, and he went to sleep, and he took a two-hour nap while the other man just kept pacing on the shore of the sea. Well, when he woke up, this hysterical man rushed over to him and 
pointed his finger in his face and he said, how can you be so calm when we're on a deserted island a hundred miles from nowhere with no way to contact anybody? And the calm man replied, I'm not the least bit worried. He continued, you see, I make $100,000 a week. The other man said, so what? He said, well, I'm also a member of the Baptist church. So what? And the other man said rather calmly, well, it's just this simple. I'm a tither. My pastor will find me. Uh, you know, deeply spiritual people are deeply committed to giving to God's work, and it may just save your life one day. I may just have to go find you wherever you were stranded on that deserted island. Uh, the reality is God intends for all of us to be tithers of our income back to God. What's interesting here in the book of Malachi, this book of dialogue, God says this, and they respond, and God asks this, and they respond. It's a, it's a book of dialogue between God and the people of Israel. This is post-exile Israel. They've come back to the land, and yet there are still problems that are amongst them. There are still problems that are in the land, and Malachi's contention in this book is that his own people, God's own people, had failed in the matter of giving to the Lord. God had left the Jews to themselves, and his blessings were noticeably absent from them. And so Malachi explains that one of the reasons is that they had failed to obey him in the matter of tithing. The deep, the depth of their intimacy with God and their experience of his blessings, in other words, were dependent on their obedience to his word. And may I just suggest to you today that that's still true? You cannot be deeply spiritual if you refuse to obey God in this matter of giving. Now, I want to talk with you for the next few moments about tithing. I'm going to give it to you in three statements for us to consider together. But as you think about it with me, I want you to understand that tithing is really all over the pages of the Bible. It's found, in, it's found 38 times in 34 different verses. 38 times in 34 different verses. But there's always somebody who says, well, the tithe, well, that tithe, that's all under the law. When we talk about the law, we're talking about the law of Moses. We call it the law of Moses. It's really the law of God given to Moses for the nation of Israel. But tithing was under the law, Pastor, and we're not under the law. We're under grace. So let's just talk about this for a few minutes, okay? Number one, statement number one. The introduction of tithing is found before the law. The introduction of tithing is found before the law. And there are plenty of examples for me to be able to give to you. Let me share two of them. One of them is Abraham. Remember his nephew Lot was living down in Sodom? And there was a consortium of kings, a, a gathering of kings to battle with one another. And the end result was that they took Lot and his family and his belongings away in captivity. Word comes to Abraham that your nephew has been taken away captive to these, these pagan kings. What are you going to do about it? And Lot puts together an army of just a little over 300 men, nothing to match the size of these armies of these nations that had come to fight with one another. 
He goes after Lot, and he takes Lot back. He takes back all of the possessions of Lot. He restores them back to, to Lot, and he brings back with him the spoils of the victory that he's won. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, it says that he gave a tithe. This is all before the law. He gave a tithe to a king priest whose name was Melchizedek. Now, here's the interesting thing about Melchizedek. We, we don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know where Melchizedek went. We have no record of his heritage, of his generation, of his, of his family line. He just appears and then he disappears. And he is a king and he is a priest. And Abraham takes some of the spoils that he has taken from these kings that he has conquered and restored to Lot and his family. He takes some of those spoils, 10% of them, and he gives them to this king priest named, named Melchizedek. You find Melchizedek again in the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's interesting that a lot of people believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, you can't argue that dogmatically, but a lot of people believe that he was a pre-incarnate appearance because Jesus is the king priest, right? He is the great high priest. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But whether he was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus or not, the fact of the matter is that before the law, 400 years before the law was ever given, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Or think about Jacob. He's an example of what I'm talking about. You remember the story of Jacob where he's out and he's in a place that he's going to rename as Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. And he pulls up a rock, and that's his pillow, and he's trying to go to sleep, and he has a vision, and he sees a ladder that stretches into heaven, and the angels are ascending and descending on that ladder, and God comes and says to him, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your seed. It's going to be like the sand of the seashores. It was a reiteration of what the promise was to Abraham, that God is fulfilling the Abrahamic uh, the covenant through Jacob. And Jacob wakes up from this vision that God's been given, that God's given to him. And what does Jacob do? Jacob, in Genesis 28, 19 to 22, gives a tithe to the Lord. You say, but pastor, how did they know to tithe? How, how could they have ever known to tithe? Well, just because the Bible doesn't record it prior to the law, doesn't mean that God hadn't taught them this very principle before the law was given. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 18, 19, it talks about the way of the Lord. Speaking about Abraham, he knew the way of the Lord. Or in Genesis 26, verse 5, it says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice, God's talking, and kept my charge, my covenants, my statutes, and my laws before there was the law of Moses. He kept my covenants, my statutes, my laws, my commandments before there was the law of Moses. In other words, these men somehow knew that giving a tithe before the giving of the law was the appropriate thing for them to do. And who is it to say that they didn't know that that was the regular thing for them to do, not just the occasional thing to do? I mean, after all, how did they know that they were supposed to offer sacrifices to God? God had taught them his way. God had given them his charge and his commandments and his statutes and his laws even before they were written down in the law of Moses. 
They already knew something of what God expected of them. Think of Cain and Abel. How, how did Cain, or how did Abel know to bring that blood sacrifice and Cain bringing that work of his hands from the field? How did they know what to bring? How did they know to bring a sacrifice at all except that God had already instructed them and God had already taught them? Just because the Bible is silent about all of that instruction doesn't mean that all of that instruction wasn't given. In fact, it was given. How about uh, the, the matter of the Sabbath? Before the law of Moses was ever given to the nation of Israel, they were already observing the Sabbath. They were already taking the Saturday, it's not Sunday. They were already taking the Saturday as a day for rest and a day for worship and a day for honoring God. I mean, where did they know that? How did they learn that? You say, well, they learned it from creation, yeah. And God taught it to them and they practiced it even before the giving of the law. I mean, the introduction of tithing is found before the law. But then I want to say, secondly, the regulation of tithing is found in the law. When you get to the law of Moses, you find God giving regulations about the tithe, and they're very specific. I'll just read you one from Leviticus chapter 27. He says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. As a matter of fact, when Malachi is speaking hundreds of years later, what does he say about those who withhold the tithe? He, say when you, he says to these Jews, back in the land of Israel, when you withhold the tithe, you are, what are the words? Robbing God. Wow, those are strong terms, aren't they? You are robbing God. I mean, that's what the law of Moses indicated. That's what the law of Moses teaches. teaches. That's what the regulation of the tithe was teaching. Even Jesus talked about tithing. Of course, Jesus was still under the law until after his death and his resurrection. Jesus was still under the law. Listen to what he says, Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now, those are spices for cooking. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You hear what he says? He says, you're very fastidious about making sure that all of the things that you grow, you're careful down to the smallest of the, of the things that you grow to give a tithe back to God. But then you forget about justice and mercy and faith. It'd be a little bit like saying today, you know, as long as you give your tithe, you don't have to come to church. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to witness. You don't have to serve. Just give your tithe. And that's sort of where they were. I mean, they thought they were paying God off. You know, Lord, we're paying you in advance so that we don't have to do these things. And Jesus says, you should have been paying attention to both of these things. You should have been paying attention to justice and mercy and faith and paying attention to the tithe. Jesus talks about the tithe, the regulation of the tithe. And there are even some people who say, well, there were really three tithes. Think about that for a moment. Do you know how much a tithe is? Do you know what the word tithe means? Sure you do. Absolutely you do. It means a tenth. How can there be three tithes? Three tenths. Think about that for a moment. That's not a tithe any longer, is it? As a matter of fact, uh, 
One scholar, Dr. E.S. Calland, in his commentary, Expositor's Bible Commentary, says, so all the designations of tithes speak of one basic tithe to be put to various uses. He says there's not really three tithes. There's one tithe used in different ways for different purposes. Now, the point is, is that God regulated tithing. Before there was the law, God had already instituted, God had already introduced the matter of tithing. Under the law, he regulates the matter of tithing and says, if you don't tithe, then it's stealing, you're robbing God. But that links me to the third statement, the function of tithing. It's found in the law. The function of tithing is found, excuse me, after the law. The New Testament appeals to the principle of tithing to teach the importance of giving. Listen to 1 Corinthians 19, verses 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament giving of the tithe so that there was meat, there were the needs met at the temple in the house of God. But now listen, Paul picks up on it and he says, even so, just like they did, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Just like those who worked at the temple were taken care of by those who gave to the temple, even in the New Testament church, those who do the work of ministry in the equipping of the saints of God are supposed to be able to live by the means of the gospel. I mean, even when you get to what Paul has to talk about in 1 Corinthians 16 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where he talks about grace giving, even in those passages of Scripture, he uses the Old Testament pattern as a means of giving an example of how you ought to give. Listen to it, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay beside him in store. Remember the storehouse in Malachi 3? In store as he may prosper. There's equality. The tenth, the, the tenth creates a, an equality of giving. As he may prosper, that there, are, that there are no collections when I come. Do you get what I'm saying? Giving was systematic as it was in the Old Testament. It was to a specific place laid by him in store, a specific place, as was the Old Testament tithe. And it was a means of pro providing equity and equality for everybody when it came to the matter of giving. It wasn't, it wasn't based on how much or how little you had. Everybody gave in proportion the same amount. Somebody might say, well, there's really no percentage prescribed in the New Testament, is there, preacher? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But the principle of the tithe guaranteed that there was practical, regular, and proportionate giving from every single person. And I think maybe the thing that we need to understand is the greater question is, even if tithe, tithing couldn't be found under grace, why would we want to do less today than a faithful Jew did under the law? It's awful quiet in here. I mean, isn't it a disgrace to grace when Christians give less under grace than the Jews did under the law? 
I think the only ones who might rightfully object to teaching on the subject of tithing and encouraging people to give a tenth of their income back to the work of God, which is plan A, the local church, plan A of how God is working in this world. The only ones who really have a right to object to that amount are those that are giving above that amount. Because they might say, well, you're limiting God as to what amount people ought to be giving. Because some people can give a whole lot more than 10%. Mary and I have on a couple of occasions met people who did that. We were at a Gideon's dinner one year when they were making a report to all the pastors who were there. And we were placed at a table. He didn't live in our state. He lived in, if I remember right, Virginia but they had come from this region for this particular uh, regional Gideon's dinner. And we were enjoying ourselves having a delicious meal at what used to be the gateway. You remember those rolls? Um, we, we were enjoying a dinner together, and, 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 and Mary was sitting next to this man. He had to be at that point way up into his 80s, maybe into his 90s. And, you know, Mary's very conversational. Have you all figured that out? I'm not as conversational. I'm not as quick to ask a lot of questions. I don't figure if you don't want to tell me, I'm not supposed to ask you. But Mary's not afraid of that. Mary starts talking to this man. What do you do? Where do you live? What's going on in your life? You know, tell me about your Christian experience. And those aren't all the questions she asked. But in the course of their talk, this man voluntarily said, I own such and such business. And I want you to know that God has enabled us to give 90% of our income to the work of God, and we live on the 10%. I mean, wouldn't that be a great thing for all of us if God would enable us to do that? Wouldn't that be a blessing if there were more of us who were able to do more than just the tithe? I mean, really, the only people who can object to talking about the tithe are those who think it might limit people because they're already giving the tithe plus. I mean, really, the tithe is just the starting point. It's the floor. It's not the ceiling. It's where you start. It's not where you end. And who could be opposed to teaching Christians to raise the level of their giving? Do you realize that if every Christian in America, 3.5% of Christians give, and they don't give a tithe, but they give, 3.5% of Christians give to their local church, 3.5%. Do you realize uh, that if everybody gave their tithe to the Lord alone, not beyond the tithe, that not only would there be plenty of money to do the work of the ministry, you could feed that you could feed the hungry and clothe the poor without any government money, without any government assistance. The fact is, we ought to be encouraging people to give. We ought to be looking for ways for us to give. And consider the blessing that Malachi promises to those who give in proportion to their income. Just go back to it. Verse 10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the place. That there may be food in my house, and try me now if, in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive them, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Do you hear what he's saying? 
When you give, I'm going to bless you in return. I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to make sure that your needs are met. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 4, when he says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, have you read the context? Just a few verses before, he talks about those who are giving, who are partnering with him in the ministry of the spread of the gospel. And then he says, but my God will supply all your need. In other words, because you're giving, God's going to open the windows of heaven and God's going to bless you and God's going to provide for you. I'm not talking about a health and wealth gospel. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about generous Christians giving back to God, letting the tithe be the floor, not the ceiling, and looking for opportunities to give to God in as many ways as we possibly can. Tithing isn't God's way of just getting something from you. It's God's way of giving something to you. God meeting your needs and God blessing you. We have to remember that whatever a person gives to God through the local church is not just a dollar amount. It's a confession. It's a confession that God owns it all anyway. And it's a confession that as, as to whether or not you want to be obedient to the Lord and to trust him. Tithing isn't merely a matter of what you think about giving or the church. It's a matter of what you think about God. And giving unlocks his financial blessings. I look back across our lives, and you'll never convince me, Mary and me, you will never convince us that the tithe isn't for today. We were tithing before we were married, and we've been married 46 years, and we have tithed plus during those 46 years. And God has met every need we've ever had. Now, do you have all your wants? No, I'm still waiting for that uh, condo on the ocean. I'm still waiting on that condo. Maybe you're going to give it to me. I don't know. I'm still waiting on that condo on the ocean where I can go when I want to go and I can sit on the balcony. I can just watch the ocean. I don't want to get in the sand. The sand's messy. There's sharks in the water. I just want to listen to it and I want to see it and I want to smell it. I, don't, I hadn't been given everything I want, but I have never missed anything that I needed. We put our children through Christian school. <laughs> on a pastor's salary. And we put them through Christian college or help them at least get through Christian college. And you say, how do you do that on a pastor's salary? You have an explanation for that, honey? Except that God showed up again and again and again to provide. Because that's what God does when you give. Giving is a matter, tithing is a matter of what you think about God. And I happen to think God is glorious and he needs to be made famous. And I believe he is already famous, but we need to make him, his name known. I happen to believe that God will provide and God will meet the needs. You will never convince this family that tithing was for the Old Testament because we have lived it and we have watched it and God has never failed to provide for our needs. There's an ancient Scottish legend about a shepherd boy tending a small flock of sheep on the side of a mountain. One day as he cared for a sheep, he 
saw at his feet a beautiful flower, more beautiful than any flower he'd seen before. He reached down and he scooped it up into his hands and he brought it up in front of his face so that he could look at it. And as he did, he heard a loud noise. And when he did, he looked up. In front of him, there was this great mountain and it was opening up before him right in front of his eyes. And there inside that mountain, he saw the sprinkling of beautiful gems and precious metals that were contained inside that mountain. With that flower in his hands, he walked inside and he laid the flower down and began to gather all of the gold and the silver and the precious gems that he could get into his arms. And finally, when he thought he had his arms as full as they could be, he turned and began to walk toward the opening of that great cavern. And suddenly a voice said to him, don't forget the best. Thinking maybe he had forgotten something or overlooked something, he turned around and went back in. He put some things down and began picking up some other things inside of this mountain that were treasures that had caught his eye. And then his arms were literally overflowing with this wealth, and he turns to walk out of this great mountain, mountainous vault. And again, he hears the voice say, Don't forget the best. By this time, his arms were so filled and he couldn't hold anything else. He walked outside and all of a sudden he heard a huge noise like he had heard before. He looked around and this time he saw that great stone mountain closing its doors again. And a third time he heard the voice and this time the voice said, you forgot the best for the flower was the key to the vault of the mountain. God's resources are unlimited resources. And the key to the vault is the flower called tithing. It opens the mountain of God's resources. People say sometimes, I just can't afford to give. And I always say back to them, I say it as kindly as I can, really you can't afford not to give. Because when you give back to God, you bring God's involvement into everything else that's going on in your life by the means of your giving. Tithing or giving is like that flower. It's the key to the vault of the mountain where God's provisions and his blessings are found. Now, I, th I thought a lot about how to give an invitation to this message, and I, I played and toyed with the idea that maybe we'd have everybody come forward and lay their wallets and their credit cards on the altar. <laughs> and then I figured that that probably wouldn't be a very good idea. But I want you to think with me for a moment. If you take this challenge to begin tithing your income back to God and giving back to God faithfully, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be surprised at some things. You're going to be surprised at the amount of money that you have for the Lord's work. And you're going to be surprised at the deepening of your spiritual life because you give. And you're going to be surprised at the ease in meeting your financial obligations with the nine-tenths that remain. And you're going to be surprised at the ease of going from one-tenth to a larger percentage. And you're going to be surprised at the preparation this gives to being a faithful and wise steward over the remaining nine-tenths. And you're going to be surprised at yourself for not adopting this plan sooner. Because God has promised to bless those who tithe. He doesn't say he's going to give you everything you want. He's promised that he would meet your needs. Those who are generous givers, he will meet your needs. And it is one 
of the seven habits of deeply spiritual Christians. Did you hear somebody griping when they came in today? Somebody fussing? Probably they're stingy and a tightwad and are not generous with their giving. You know who's got the smiles on their faces and who walked in with the joy of the Lord and who had worship in their heart when they got here? It was those who've been giving to God and couldn't wait to get where they had invested their treasure because that's where their heart was.